Out of six major Muslim organizations in Canada contacted, only one bothered to reply and condemn Hamas's October 7th massacre in Israel and the terrorist organization itself. The commander of the Royal Canadian Navy is warning that serious challenges threaten to derail its readiness commitments for 2024 and beyond. Google has agreed to pay Canadian legacy media publishers $100 million per year after a lengthy negotiation with the federal government over Bill C-18, also known as the Online News Act. Hello Canada, it's Friday, December 1st, and this is True North's Daily Brief. I'm Cosman Georgia. And I'm William Macbeth. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. Out of six major Muslim organizations in Canada contacted, only one bothered to reply and condemn Hamas's October 7th massacre in Israel and the terrorist organization itself. True North contacted half a dozen Muslim groups with a presence in Canada to ask them what their stance on Hamas and its incursion into Israeli territory is. The only organization to respond to True North's requests was the Council for Muslims Facing Tomorrow. Council for Muslims Facing Tomorrow President Rahil Raza told True North that her organization has not shied from calling Hamas a terror group, unlike others. October 7th brought about with it multi-dimensional tragedies against innocent civilians in Israel, including murder, rape, and destruction that is unimaginable, Raza told True North. All the work that we do in order to build bridges and try to educate Muslim youth was completely sabotaged by heavy false propaganda coming from the Muslim Brotherhood and its proxies, she continued. As a member of the Council of Muslims Against Anti-Semitism, the group also strongly condemned the murderous attack on Israel and its civilian population by the terrorist organization Hamas, backed by Iran. Raza is also a policy fellow with the True North Center for Public Policy, True North's parent organization. We also contacted the National Council of Canadian Muslims, the Canadian Council of Muslim Women, the Muslim Association of Canada, the Islamic Society of North America, and the Muslim Student Association to ask whether they would condemn Hamas and its actions on October 7th, but did not receive a response from any of them. However, some of the organizations have issued separate condemnations of terrorism and Hamas elsewhere on their websites or in public comments. So, I reached out to all of these different organizations separately with the same set of questions. I asked them quite simply, will you condemn the October 7th attack on Israel and the ensuing massacre killings of innocent civilians? I also asked them to point to any public comments that they have made on this incident. And the other major question was whether they would condemn Hamas, a publicly listed terrorist organization in Canada, in their own words. Now, as I said, only one of these groups got back to me. The rest were silent, at least in, in their email replies. Some of these groups have individually said 
that Hamas is a terrorist organization and Muslims shouldn't be lopped in with a group like that. But other organizations like the Canadian Council of Muslim Women and the Muslim Student Association, they haven't mentioned Hamas. At least our searches didn't turn up anything on their website. So William, why is it so hard for some of these groups to be upfront with Canadians about their views on October 7th and this terrorist organization? It's an interesting question, and it does leave people to wonder whether or not there might be more support, either emotionally or uh, from an identity standpoint, for some of the actions of Hamas, maybe not to the terrible degree of October 7th, but anything less than a full-throated condemnation repeated often after this despicable attack on October 7th can be seen as at least implicit support or uh, empathy towards some of the organizations, if not its activities, then its ideals. And, and it's a real problem, I think, for moderate Muslims who don't want to be associated with, with these kinds of, of actions. If you look at uh, is, is Jewish groups, the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs, Sija, they're one of the first groups to condemn any attack against Muslims, any incidences of Islamophobia, any moments in Canada where a mosque is targeted by vandals or by people who spray painted on it. Sija is one of the first groups to loudly condemn it. And the reverse isn't always true. And I think it's going to lead to some soul searching on the part of people who say, well, you know, of course we condemn terrorism. We, we don't abide by it. Well, you have to explicitly say so. You have to be upfront and explicit and repeatedly say it if you want people to believe that you're truly against terrorism and the actions of groups like Hamas. The commander of the Royal Canadian Navy is warning that serious challenges threaten to derail its readiness commitments in 2024 and beyond. Vice Admiral Angus Topshi, the Royal Canadian Navy's commander, blames severe personnel shortages and aging equipment in a YouTube video on Monday. Quote, the Navy faces some very serious challenges right now that could mean we fail to meet our force posture and readiness commitments in 2024 and beyond, said Topshi. The Navy is grappling with significant staffing shortages, which Topshi said puts the Navy in a critical state. Many occupations are experiencing staffing shortages of 20% or higher. The root of these challenges lies in a decade-long recruitment crisis. Quote, despite their very best efforts, the Canadian Forces Recruiting Group has not delivered the required intake for the Navy for over 10 years, Topshi explained. True North previously reported on the Canadian Armed Forces CAF recruitment shortage. A briefing note obtained by Blacklock's reporter showed that the government's plan was to boost recruitment by lowering standards and promoting diversity over merit. Communications between the Department of National Defense and the CAF revealed a preoccupation with concepts like equity, critical race theory, and gender ideology. Despite woke ideology policy changes like gender-neutral uniforms and drag queen bingo, the recruitment numbers have continued to falter. So at this point, Cosman, do you think that uh, accepting Canada has a functioning armed forces right now, and I guess that's debatable, Will Canada even have a viable military by the end of, say, even this decade? That's that's a good question. It's hard to say. And, and sometimes uh, it makes me think that the, the plan of this government is to completely 
demilitarize Canada in the long run just based on how poorly they've handled the defense file. I mean, look at specifically the Navy. We saw what happened to Vice Admiral Mark Norman, who was dragged through this political trial despite the fact that the Crown in 2019 dropped charges uh, accusing Norman of, of breach of trust related to release of, of sensitive contract information, and then they refused to hire him back. It was former uh, Defense Minister Harjit Sajjan who said, no, you can't have your job back, despite him being the most qualified person to return to that position. And I think they've gotten rid of so many people who were competent military leaders, especially through the pandemic and the whole vaccine debacle, that they're left with just yes-men, essentially, who do whatever the liberal government asks of them. And I think a lot of these measures, the woke, you know, gender ideology, the critical race theory stuff being shoved uh, down the throats of our soldiers is coming from bureaucracy and not actually the rank and file. I've spoken to so many people in the military who are currently enlisted or, or who have left because of this reason, and they're saying, we want none of it. We just want to do our jobs and serve the country. Yeah, that was going to be my second question, which, and, you know, for anybody who's ever met me will know that I am not uh, someone who has a ton of experience uh, with Canada's armed forces. Uh, they would have to be scraping very low at the bottom of the barrel before they recruited me. But I've often wondered if a relentless focus on wokeness, on gender issues, on drag queen, bingo, apparently something they've done, on all of that isn't exactly why a lot of Canadians are wanting to sign up for the armed services to begin with. I think people who choose to participate in the armed forces do so because they're patriotic and have a desire to protect Canada, to protect our freedoms and our democracy and provide help overseas. They're not really there because they're interested in pursuing a relentlessly woke agenda inside the armed forces. Would that be a fair comment to say? No, absolutely. It, it, I think just a matter of fact is that it takes a very specific type of person to want to uh, lay down their life for in service of the country. And that type of person might not necessarily meet all of the you know, my minority diversity uh, qualifications that the liberal government is looking for. And, and what they're doing is they're arguing that by opening up the army with these diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives, they're reaching a larger pool of people. But I think it's quite the opposite. And the pool of people that they are reaching with these new initiatives are going to be want to go into the more civilian oriented jobs, the bureaucratic jobs in the military. They're not going to be the ones wanting to pile sandbags in the case of a natural disaster. I, I, you know, that might be politically incorrect of me to say, but it's just the truth. And, and we're, we're not recruiting and targeting the right people. And we have to go back to basics, the basics of what the military offers. And they're not focusing enough on things that would actually attract people. And that is the incentives, you know, giving soldiers a, a potential to own a home, a place to stay while they're deployed elsewhere within the country. Right. There, there's so many problems of, of families having to deal with so many hurdles when they have, a, you know, a husband or, or, or wife 
in that family having to go deploy and they can't find a place to live. They're essentially screwed. And it's so sad that they're not focusing on these issues and ensuring the long-term sustainability of people who join the military, whatever branch, and also appreciating them in the long term and providing those benefits that will see them into their retirement. The federal government has finalized a deal with Google regarding Bill C-18, also known as the Online News Act, that will have the tech company pay $100 million per year to news publishers in order to allow Canadian news content on its platform. Heritage Minister Pascal Saint-Ange called it a historic development while discussing the implementation of Bill C-18. The financial support provided by Google will be indexed to inflation and paid out to a wide range of news businesses across the country, including independent news businesses and those from indigenous and official language minority communities. Few details have been released regarding what regulatory changes will be made by the Trudeau government, that it cannot release details about the final regulations until after they have been approved by the Treasury Board which will need to happen before the act comes into effect. Bill C-18 first passed in June, which requires tech giants like Google and Meta to financially compensate Canadian news outlets for news content that is posted and shared on their platforms. University of Ottawa law professor Michael Geist said this week that the deal wasn't exactly the slam dunk win the government is claiming it to be, writing that the government, quote, ended up negotiating with Google on a single payment rather than the individual deals promised by the bill, creating what amounts to a fund model that Google supported from the outset. William, I was commenting on this a little bit today on X, and there was a clip circulating essentially where the heritage minister admits that 30% of this $100 million will go to the CBC, a crown corporation, because the CBC employs about a third of the journalists in this country. And the rest of that could potentially go to these major media employers, like companies like Rogers or Bell, whereas the smaller media companies who might have, you know, a dozen to a hundred journalists employed at a time will only get a small sliver of that pie from Google. So, is this really a win for the media, like some are saying it is? Or has Google gotten the upper hand here over the government? I think the people who are probably happiest about this news are the federal government. Because up until this moment, their online news act had been nothing but a complete and total disaster for news and media in Canada. And I think this is far from what media were hoping for, uh, but it's something the federal government can point to and say, look, we didn't make a huge mistake. We made a slightly less huge mistake, but we've got one deal with Google, so it was all worth it. I mean, in reality, no, this isn't going to solve any of the problems facing Canada's media landscape. The problems with Canada's media are deep, and they require a lot of self-reflection, which isn't something a lot of legacy media have done over the past decade, decade and a half. 
the problem with legacy media isn't just a broken business model like they like to say. It's the fact that they have a bunch of journalists who are focusing on issues that nobody cares about and uh, producing news content that nobody in the country is reading or watching. That's their real problem. They're so out of touch. They're so out of the ballpark when it comes to things that ordinary people care about that even if they got unlimited money from the government, from taxpayers, in order to keep going, I doubt it would have any appreciable impact on the number of people reading or watching them. If you go to the National Post, well, the, I feel bad for the National Post. There are a handful of people at it who I like. But if you go to most of the legacy media in Canada, it's an endless series of stories about climate change, about residential schools and what Canada has done wrong this week, being a colonialist settler uh, country. It's a bunch of stories about gender identity. And these aren't the issues that everyday people care about. People care about being able to afford their mortgages or their rents or how to pay their bills. But that's not what the media reports on. And as a result, this also means the media are going to continue to give the Trudeau government a free pass on a lot of stuff because they're ever more dependent on the Trudeau liberals to pay their bills. And that's just bad news all around for Canada's media and for the people who live in this country. You know, I saw some fans commenting online that they felt that Google had let them down. They sort of expected Google, this this huge corporation, to stick it to the Canadian media and block news links altogether. But from my perspective, I kind of saw this coming because we've seen large me uh, social media and tech giants strike deals in other jurisdictions, like with Australia, like in the European Union. So I, I thought from the beginning that there was going to be some sort of settlement, um, kind of like this, actually. But you mentioned that the big winner here is the federal government, and I agree with you. But would you say that the big loser here is the average consumer of Canadian news content for sure if you think about it who is this hundred million dollars going to go to well 30 percent of it is apparently going to cbc because they weren't getting enough taxpayer dollars to begin with so now they get some google money but it's going to go to media corporations and uh as we've seen with all of the hundreds of millions of dollars being provided to these media corporations by the Trudeau government. They're still laying off thousands of journalists. They're still closing newsrooms. They're still reducing their presence in cities and towns across the country. This money is not going to help individual journalists. It's going to keep media companies, unprofitable media companies, propped up for a little bit longer. And it possibly, as I said before, even stalls the important conversation that has to happen on the part of legacy media to understand why so few Canadians are bothering to read or watch them anymore. And so, no, I don't think that anybody's the winner here except the federal government who maybe gets to claim some small measure of victory in their otherwise completely failed attempt to help media in Canada. That's it for today, folks. Don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. Plus, make sure to check out the Alberta Roundup today and the Candace Malcolm Show. Also, don't miss out on the Rupa Supramania Show this Saturday exclusively at True North. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to share our work with your friends and neighbors. And if able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news.